This is the unofficial Shopify podcast with Kurt Elster and Paul Rita, your resource for growing your Shopify business. Sponsored by EtherCycle. All right, welcome to the inaugural episode of the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt, and with me is my business partner and co-host, Paul. Welcome. Hello. And joining us today is Michael Demartini from Everspans. He's one of our favorite clients, uh, a Kickstarter success, a manufacturer, and a Shopify store owner. Michael, it's uh, it's around 3.30 there in St. Louis. What are you up to? Well, you know, obviously I am excited to do this first uh, inaugural podcast with you guys and really appreciate it. We're super excited to talk more about uh, our company and Shopify and the great job that you guys have done for us. Oh, thank you. All right, so tell us uh, tell us a little bit about Everest Band. What's an Everest Band? So about two and a half years ago, uh, my partners and I came up with an idea for a rubber Rolex replacement watch strap. And uh, now two years later, we, uh, we had a successful Kickstarter with our first rubber strap. Uh, we are on our second version, now made in Switzerland. And just recently, last month, we had our second successful Kickstarter for a leather strap. Um, and it was, uh, it was a wonderful experience and thank God for Kickstarter. <laughs> so the, this band is made in Switzerland, huh? Yeah. Our rubber strap is entirely made in Switzerland rubber wise. We actually, uh, have a steel oyster link that is attached to it. And we coat that with a coating called DLC diamond light coating. Uh, and right, that is actually right. done here in the U S. So what, um, see, I've a, I think I, I and a lot of people, we have ideas where we're like, oh, I've got this great idea for a thing. But making a thing is hard. Like, it's easy to have an idea. It's tough to actually get it manufactured. So how did you go end up in Switzerland asking a manufacturer to build your rubber? How does that happen? How do I get there? Well, to be very honest, we actually had, we actually had two previous versions. One was made uh, or attempted to be made here in the St. Louis area. And uh, honestly, it was a complete and epic fail. And we did not actually produce any straps uh, for sale. Uh, so we had a second version that was also made in the United States. And uh, that was a very good strap. And we had some limitations with the manufacturer on uh, basically material choices. So we traveled the globe to find what we f- would think would be the absolute best manufacturer. And honestly, the Swiss just blew us away with their technology and rubber molding. Uh, the company we use specializes in rubber watch strap molding. And I can't list the name of the companies, but probably the top 10 watch straps, or excuse me, watch manufacturers in the world use them to make their rubber straps. I actually had to pretty much beg them to take my business. But, did uh, you pretty much out. beg them, or did you literally beg them? Oh, no, no, no. I, I got on my... Uh, they're on the proverbial hands and and, and uh, knees and, and literally said, please, please make my strap. <laughs> and they said, sure, we'll do it. Uh, but how did I how did I get there? A lot of research, honestly, a tremendous amount of research. And and actually asking industry experts. So I asked other watch companies who they used. Okay. And, all right. So I think that's one of the things a lot of people should do or don't know how to do is do I go out and ask um, people in my industry or even competitors, like, what are you doing? How do you do it? Can I pick your brain? Did you do that? And do you, like, how do you go about that? So, yes, of course. I mean, it, it, there's kind of a two-part answer to that. One of them does relate to Kickstarter. But whenever you're producing a product like we produce or really anything of a higher-end level, 
uh, don't be embarrassed to ask others how they're doing it. Um, for sure, other people are more than happy to help. So we just started with other watch makers, high-end watch makers, and they were very open with us. Some were, of course, tentative for giving us any information whatsoever. But when they immediately found out that we weren't a competitor, a direct competitor in any way, they were more than happy to talk to us. So really the only barrier to entry is, is you psychologically just being willing to go out and ask. Because what's the worst that can happen? They say no. If you don't ask, you've guaranteed that you get nothing out of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, let's call it any entrepreneur has to have some goals. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, they have yeah, to have it some... took me a long time to get there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You can't be fearful of being told to drop dead. <laughs> that, that's a good line. That's a great quote. We should yeah. include that as a tweet. Um, so tell me what goes into – you um, You got the seed money or got this, this off the ground using um, Kickstarter twice now, right? Yeah, so the first one started uh, – just a really quick backstory. I had another business that was uh, – it was a failure to be honest. And I think that the best entrepreneurs are the ones that get kicked down at least once or twice. And they then learn from those mistakes and take it from there. So on our first one, we – our first business, uh, completely unrelated in every single facet. Local business, uh, didn't deliver a product, delivered a service, et cetera. Um, it, it was a failure because of, of a lot of different things. One, we added too much debt to the business. Uh, and so when we were looking at the product itself, the product idea, we felt that Kickstarter was perfect for, for us. It, it, it gave us the ability to have a pre-sale so we knew if the product was worth doing. Uh, we did, of course, put a lot of money into it at the very beginning, but uh, the amount that we put in was a little bit more than what we got from Kickstarter, but really Kickstarter did finish line us on our first product. On the second one, we took a completely different direction, and we were going not for what we did on our first one where we were trying to you know, get the seed money to finish the project. It was more of we wanted to make sure the marketplace wanted the product. Uh, we, of course, used the funds to pay for the finish line of this second product. But we also didn't go after retailers, for example. We just went after the general public. Uh, on our first Kickstarter, more than half uh, of our Kickstarter proceeds were from retailers. And if I was doing this all over again for a first time, I definitely would try and get retailers involved okay. uh, on my first product. So if you had um, – so now that you've, you're a Kickstarter veteran, if you had one tip for someone who's about to make, launch their product on Kickstarter, what would it be? I think the first tip that I would give is um, you, you really have to have your crap together. I mean it. Don't, no, don't start Kickstarter. It's a good tip. Get your shit together. Get your shit together. Don't start Kickstarter with questions because uh, you're going to get annihilated, number one. Uh, and number two – uh, when I say that, I mean there's so many different levels to that. Starting with, not only do you are you 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 become an expert in your area through you know at least understanding your this the product that you're going to sell and manufacture. Number one, number two, you're going to uh, you, you're going to want to have excellent pictures of a prototype. Um, you want to have connected with the lowest level of purchasing. So usually that's the you know that's through forums. Um, and different items that are connected to some type of social media connection. So yeah, get your shit together. All right. Well, Honestly. actually, um... yeah, you just you mentioned social media, and we kind of think that social media 
advertising is sort of bullshit here. Uh, it's a lot of snake oil. <laughs> yeah, we have, yeah. It, it, it doesn't get the ROI that the social media people like to claim it does, at least in our experience. However, you have a ton of Facebook likes, and the majority of your traffic comes in via Facebook. And why do you think you were able to pull that off? You know, that's a really good question. To be really honest with you, I think that each business has a different uh, successful tool in some level of marketing. So say, for example, we seem to have a very um, a product where people need to physically see it, to, t- to, to verbally see it or, or uh, physically see it. And with social media, we can present pictures constantly. So when we have a Facebook like, for example, and I'll be honest, it costs us very few cents per Facebook like. Whereas in other industries, it's very expensive to acquire a like. Okay, because, so actually, I didn't know that that likes um, that it's on like a bidding system where it varies by industry. How many Facebook likes do you have anyway? Uh, we have one hundred and twenty-eight thousand. We're probably going to achieve today one hundred and twenty-nine thousand. How many did you have where you saw it like really was uh, paying off for you in terms of sales? Probably after five thousand. Yeah, honestly, okay. after about 5,000. So, so 5,000 is the baseline that people should be shooting for, and 100,000 is, like, ideal. Actually, to be very honest with you, our end goal for Facebook likes for the end of 2015 is over a million. Okay, yeah. I mean, there's no limit, so why not shoot for the ceiling? Cool. Exactly. But to, but to better answer your question, because I think that's a really good one, especially for entrepreneurs, uh, Facebook, Instagram, those things, they're free. There is no form of free marketing better than that. It costs you money to put a sign on the wall of your office or your storefront. It costs you money to uh, have, honestly, EtherCycle do work for you. Facebook is free. Social media is free. But to make it successful, you need those tools behind you, like EtherCycle's work, like uh, SignMaker for your outside, like a very good business card printer, so on and so forth. That is what gets you the end success. And 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 social media marketing takes a lot of time too, which people just assume that it's sort of a thing that just happens for free and you don't have to worry about it. There's a lot of time suck there as well. Oh yeah, we we literally focus uh, at least for my own self as the marketing person for our company. I, I focus fifty percent of my day on social media development of it. Um, and also earlier you you mentioned forums, and that really tickled something in my brain. Another one of our big clients. Um, that works in aftermarket auto parts, and they do millions of dollars in revenue a year, uh, a, ma- a portion of their sales staff is just devoted to pumping up the product on forums and selling on forums because a forum dedicated to the kind of product that you're selling is essentially just a captured audience of people that are super interested in what, in what you want to sell them. Yeah, I mean, a forum is a it's a community of hobbyists, obviously, right? So um, some of them are not hobbyists. Some of those are are people like, for example, for us, you know, a watch a, a watch repair company. You know, they might have a, a access to a forum and they keep up to date about what's popular and whatnot. But um, and that's how a lot of our business has come from, uh, especially on the the retailer side. But yeah, to be very honest with you, we involve ourselves. Enough to give a presentation of new products and ideas, but not so much that we're going to get kicked off, because you know it's a club. You know that, that's what you it can't is. just swoop in and be like, "Buy my stuff." You can't spam them. <laughs> you just gotta. You have to yeah. be there and en- engaging is the word. You want to engage. 
not yeah. just spam. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, let's call it as it is. No one likes to sell anything, be sold anything. Everybody right. likes to buy stuff. All right. So speaking of buying, you're selling a luxury brand, a premium item. You're selling a premium item for people who have already bought a from a luxury brand. So you only sell for Rolex, correct? Well, uh, for on Everest bands, yeah, we do have a secondary site. We don't need to get into that today, but yeah, our, our focus, our primary focus is Everest and uh, Everest Horology products in general. Just only focuses entirely on Rolex users, Rolex owners, wearers. All right, so I think luxury brands as an idea fascinates me. Um, fascinate me, and I know we've gone back and forth about it in the office. Like, you know, sometimes it's uh, you kind of have to tease out: is this just a product with a very expensive price tag? So it's like purely a status symbol. Like Rolex is extremely well made. It's a premium product. It's well made. But at the same time, everyone knows it's expensive. So uh, starting Rolex is like brand new. is going to be eight grand. So for a product like Evers Brands, it's a, a luxury product. How did you get to become a luxury product? Like what, what's the barrier to entry to be a premium luxury brand? Is it, is it just a big price tag? What is it? A lot of people are trying to, to make things in different countries right now for a super low cost. And um, I think that the consumer today, of course, likes value. But if you're talking about a luxury product or becoming a luxury company, you have to remember that what does the end user want? True, true end users, luxury purchasers. They want uh, quality is a first probably cornerstone of whatever you're making. Uh, second, it, longevity of life. Don't think that people with money have any interest in buying something over and over again every 6 to 12 months. Um, they're just not interested in doing that. It's very uncommon that you see a destroyed Gucci bag or a Ferragamo pair, fer, pair of Ferragamo shoes that aren't quite a few years old and still look excellent. Um, Mercedes-Benz's last a very long time. They're not a car that you drive for three years and throw away. So at the end of the day, Everest makes a product that is A, the highest quality in the world. There is no better rubber strap or leather strap ever. Um, the longevity and life of our product is very long. From a luxury standpoint, our service is extremely high. I have direct communication almost with every single customer at some level. All right. So for if I want to get – so a luxury brand obviously is more than just a the premium price. There has to be um, – you have to back it up. So if you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk um, and have a product that's number one in its category um, in terms of like precision manufacturing and then be able to back it up with customer support so people don't even have to wonder. They know they'll be able to get a hold of you. So speaking of luxury products, premium brands, uh, we can't ignore Apple. And you, you're, you're a watch guy. Um, I'm into watches, and I think partly you've gotten me into watches. Um, the Apple Watch just came out yesterday. It was just announced yesterday. So I'm, I'm dating this podcast a little bit. But the Apple Watch just came out. So I love I it. I think it looks great. For $350, I don't think you get a watch that's better. What do you think? Well, first, obviously, Everest has had its own level of getting kicked while it's down, we'll say, when we were first starting. So I'm not going to kick the Apple Watch while no one's even really seen it yet. But do I think it's going to hurt the hot horology world? Absolutely not. I don't think it's even going to remotely dent Rolex, Omega, Bell & Ross's sales because – Honestly, people buy those products because they love the watch. They could care less really about 
timekeeping. Yeah, I I agree with you there, and I, I you know I think yeah, Hublot has has nothing to worry about. But in my mind, judging by what I've read about the low and what I've heard you you and Kurt talk about about the low end of the watch industry, um, in terms of the like the low end of the luxury watches, you know the kind of things that are available at that price point. It's my impression that the Apple Watch kind of just blows everything out of the water at that price point. Yeah, I mean the other side of the spectrum is, and not to try and compare entirely, you know, a Rolex to an Apple Watch, but you know, I have a Rolex and 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 it's uh it's seven years old. It looks brand new. It I, I treat it well, but honestly, uh, I don't have a seven year old iPhone, gentlemen. So <laughs> good point. You know, you know. So do I think it's going to be somewhat of something that you replace every three to four years at a maximum? Uh, yeah, the Everest band, for example. Um, I am still wearing the original first single piece that came off the assembly line today, and it still looks as if it's brand new. And that was two and a half. That was that was a year and a half ago. So again, it just kind of goes back to the whole luxury idea. Is Apple producing a luxury product? No, they're just producing a great piece of technology that has a lot of um, advancements, but it's not going to affect you know Hublot. Uh, it's not going to affect Omega. It's not going to affect uh, Rolex. But on a low end line, say for example a Casio, yeah, Casio, Seiko, low ends, those they're going to feel it. They're going to get. They're going to feel it. The heat pretty hard, probably. So those, uh, yeah. So those sub five hundred dollar watch people are in trouble. The heirloom status symbol, insane, like ten thousand dollar watches have nothing to worry about. Yeah, I mean it's the same thing as if I don't particularly see that Southwest is affecting uh, private jet sales. You know, <laughs> I mean it's like you know. Okay, good point. I didn't think of it that way. So, you know, let's call it as it is, you know, but do I feel that Southwest is probably affecting American Airlines' sales? Uh, hell yeah, gentlemen. Come on. It's like $98. Give me a break. To go up to Chicago from St. Louis, I would pick that over the $300 uh, flight on a on, an, on American Airlines, for example. But also, you know, I could – and there's a million of those. But I, I'm excited to see what happens with the Apple iWatch, especially because I watched it kind of amazingly – the Pebble watch was coming down the pipeline and it was in its Kickstarter when I was doing my first Everest band Kickstarter. So we were, we're, we're brothers from another mother. And I really feel that uh, the Pebble hasn't really hit the marketplace the way they thought it would. And I think that's it, true of every, uh, every smartwatch, smartwatch that's come yeah. out. I mean, I, oh, had a, yeah. I had a Pebble. I thought it was awful. I wore it like a handful of times. I ended up selling it. I lost money on it. It's just not not a good product. And then on top of it, you know, they they just I really almost feel bad for Pebble because, you know, they did they had such a, an enormous, you know, phoenix rise at the very beginning with a, you know, a 10 million dollar, I think it was 10 million dollars in, they, in sales. Well, I know they were one of the like they broke the a record for fundraising on Kickstarter. Oh yeah, they I think and, and just recently the coolest cooler knocked them off the top, but but more importantly, um you know, they had countless issues. They couldn't get the damn thing out for a year. I can tell you right now, our customers would, were, we were, we were late by three weeks and they were freaking out. So, you know, so I just really feel that when it comes down to being successful, selling a product and whatnot, there are a lot of different parts that have to play into it. And the one great thing about Apple is that they're so well organized that, uh, you know, this multiple billion dollar company is going to probably hit it really well on their first. Uh, version. I mean, the first iPhone was pretty sweet. 
Yeah. Um, but I am worried that it could be the, the honestly, it could be the next Newton. I don't know if you guys remember that. POS. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And I can, the only thing I ever think about the Newton, I think a lot of people uh, probably our age do, is the Newton on the Simpsons. Yeah, eat up Martha. Eat up Martha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, the main the main thing that's in my mind is that I, I don't wear watches. I don't understand why anyone would wear a watch because I have an atomic clock that I carry around in my pocket at all times that also it's, does things more than a watch. It's jewelry, really. No, I, and I, mean, I don't. It's yeah. jewelry that happens to tell the time. And I don't. I don't wear any jewelry, so it's, okay. it's kind of meaningless to me. But like, I saw the smartwatch, and you know, because I'm stupid, I was kind of like, I I kind of want it a little bit. And well, I think that's the, stupid. It's geeky. That, no, no, yeah. I mean, it's, no, it's no, another no. screen. I see. <laughs> I see the attraction. I totally see the attraction too because. Um, you know, honestly, you don't fit into like Kurt fits into it, but not. I mean, not everybody fits into that wanting of a, a high-end watch. I mean, honestly, Rolex probably produces about a million high-end timepieces a year annually. That's cr- that blows my mind. Yeah, that I, a million people a year are spending eight plus thousand dollars on a watch. Well, and I and I I was doing research and how the watch might affect Apple's bottom line because I am an Apple shareholder and. Yeah, that makes they, two of us. High the, five. The world uh, watch market produces something like 1.2 billion watches a year. So if 1.2 billion watches get made, Rolex makes 1 million of them. So that's less than 1%. It's still crazy. I'm sure they're. Yeah. I'm sure in terms of revenue, they're way higher, but not in terms of watches yeah, they're, produced. It, yeah. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you've got 1.2 billion watches being made annually. So, you know, there's going to be a large percentage of them that are going to last a very short amount of time. And, um, you know, they're, they're $20, $15, they're yeah. $75. Yeah. That, that, and that, and you know what? You're right. I, I think that the Apple watch is a creative, brilliant idea that is well designed and I'm simply not going to bang it, even though I have my own, I, I don't think I'll ever buy one, but it's just, it's a different It's a animal. different thing. Yeah. yeah. T- it's a new market. I think Johnny Ivey said during the video that, oh, you know, we're going to replace Rolex. He, he made some crack about replacing Rolex and a lot of those brands. And it's kind of like, all right, you're you're not right there. Because that's... <laughs> yeah, a, di- no, th- don't be reaching for the like, stars. This is a yet. different thing they're selling. Like, you, they yeah. m- both might be called watches, but they're different things. Rolex okay. is not a boogie whip, gentlemen. That 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 is the honestly yeah. for him to say that shows sadly that even though he's a beautiful and wonderful designer, his complete and utter ignorance on the watch industry is uh, completely. He just he overly showed it during that that point. Right, I'm so, really excited to listen to this in five years, and then we're like, oh man, Apple controls <laughs> everything. We were idiots. I can't believe Apple bought Rolex. <laughs> um, all right, so tell me, what's your your watch guy? What's your favorite watch? Oh, that's. I mean, I hate to say that I'm a. Even though I, I love complex, beautiful watches, I'd have to still say that the Rolex Submariner in its simple form is absolutely the most beautiful watch I've ever seen. It is a timeless, gorgeous definition of what a watch should be. Um, its accuracy is absolutely impressive. It's a it's an over a 60-year design that has slightly evolved to almost an absolute perfection with their current version. And I look at so many other watches... Uh, and you just don't ever see that. So when you look at watches in general, or or really products in general, let's just start with the car or anything like that, or the internet for that matter. It's very seldomly did you see one company be able to take that their vision from 60 years ago and still keep running with it perfectly. Yeah, it's true. The uh, that um, 
that Rolex Submariner shape is is classic and timeless. Like that, people will always recognize uh, a bottle of Coke. I think number one and number two, they'll know Rolex when they when they see it. Um, yeah. Not to try and push either cycle in any way, but one of the things oh no, that please guys, do, please yeah, do. I know, right? But I really feel that one thing that you guys did great was that you know I said to you during our design meetings that I wanted a website that showed the essence of Rolex's website and Rolex's <laughs> presence. I didn't want to be Rolex. That's not what my intention was. But you guys were able to take the essence of, of that. And um, that's complex. Uh, countless people try and make watches that look just like Rolex watches. And they are completely off the mark every single time. So yeah. it, it's it's good to see that you guys actually were able to both manufacture my idea of what our website should look like, but also um, give it that same feeling that it's going to last. Like I'm not, I'm not going to change my website in six months from tomorrow. I actually think that we're only going to minorly evolve it over the next two or three years as technology develops better in Shopify. Well, we think yeah, that's the way to do it. I think the people of the most success are not the ones who tear down their website every six months, but instead are doing um, just constant iterations. I mean, like with you, it's I mean, really, it's like once every two weeks. Even sometimes weekly, we're making continuous changes that really add up to better conversion, more sales, etc. Yeah. So speaking of that, what? Um, so as a Shopify store owner, give me give me one tip for Shopify store owners. Okay. So the one the one tip is I I, I do believe that you need to trust something as important as your website uh, to professionals because if you're going to run a website like Shopify's very well-built technology. You can download one of their templates and you can, you know, figure out how to put some images in and things like that. But at the end of the day, the consumer is very short-lived in their decision-making online. In moments, you know, I, I look at our, our amount of time that our people are on our, on our website and they're only there for, you know, a minute or two really sometimes. Right. And that's, can, that a minute and a half is good. That That's extraordinary. That is such an integral, important part. I mean, to spend two, three, four thousand dollars on something that you're going to have as an asset in your company for the next, you know, twelve to twenty-four to thirty-six months, it's kind of foolish to think that oh, I'll just download a fifty-dollar template and and just start going with it. No, you need professional guidance, especially even at a base level when you first, you know, you first do Kickstarter, you first do these things uh, when you're first coming up with a product idea or you're first even a, a just a, you're starting up a retail store online. And you need to have that guidance because without that, your conversion rate will be much lower. Even if you think it looks great, uh, and your mom does too, that doesn't matter. What matters is the end consumer has complete confidence in buying the product. And you need a company to really do that and develop your website. Hell yeah. I should have – God, I'm going to have to embed that audio on uh, on the second website now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Autoplay audio on the website. Big conversion. People love that. You're right. That is a conversion killer. (laughs) Okay, I think that um, I learned a lot. Um, I hope other people learned a lot. That was really, it was really good. It was great having you, uh, Michael. You. I, I look forward to to working more with Everest Bands and and uh, really growing that brand. But thank you, thank you for for joining us. Well, thank you guys. And again, I, I really feel that not to not to go back a couple times into something, but if you're gonna do a Kickstarter. You really need to get things organized, and one of the most important things in organizing it is is the image that you put out there. Because if you don't have that, you will fail. And your it, your number one tip is still will always ring true in my mind, and it's good to hear it. Get your shit together. Get your shit together. Don't start without your shit together, boys, because it's gonna fail. Advice for time. everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, 
you know? Your mom told you when you were 18 years old, get your shit together. All right, that, this is fantastic. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, guys. Thank you.